0: Hello, welcome to the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast, where it is all about helping amazing physicians just like you create a wealthy life, free from burnout, and with the financial security to practice medicine on your own terms. I'm your host, Dr. Elisa John. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast. This episode is scheduled to come out on the day before Thanksgiving. So in the spirit of Thanksgiving, I thought I would talk about the practice of gratitude. I know that that might not sound relevant on a podcast about growing wealth, but I would argue that having gratitude is part of having a wealthy mindset. Let's start with what is gratitude? Most people have an idea of what gratitude is, but it can be hard to define. Researchers Robert Emmons and Michael McCullough define gratitude as a two-step process. One, recognizing that one has obtained a positive outcome, and two, recognizing that there is an external source for this positive outcome. There have been more studies looking on the effects of gratitude and finding the positive impact on physiological as well as psychological health. Some gratitude practices can increase people's happiness and overall positive mood. I'll admit, when I first heard of practicing gratitude, it rang hollow for me. When I felt depressed, Stopping to think about what good things I did have didn't necessarily make me feel better. Usually what would make me feel better would be to make myself go do something and put my mind to thinking about some task I had to complete. Since I started getting my own coaching, I've been examining my thoughts a lot more. Brooke Castillo, the founder of the Life Coach School, where I'm a certified life coach, has talked about the gratitude for clean drinking water. It's something many of us take for granted until we don't have it. International travel is one of my passions, and I have traveled across the earth, and that includes to many poor and impoverished places. Many people don't actually have easy access to clean drinking water. Two billion people lack access to safely managed drinking water at home, according to the CDC. There are people who must walk a significant difference to get to a well to even get clean drinking water. I certainly feel more grateful for being born in the United States after many of my travels. I started to think a lot about clean drinking water in a way that put me in a state of gratitude. When I was younger, I went on backpacking trips where finding water was a necessity. I did a three-week backpacking trip in the Gila Wilderness Area as part of a medical wilderness elective when I was a medical student. The Gila Wilderness Area is a desert, so we had to be mindful in planning our routes so that we could camp near water, as well as carry enough water for us to stay hydrated until we could get to another source of water. We also had to treat our water to make it safe to drink. There was one day where my group arrived at our planned campsite, and none of the possible water sources in the area actually had water. What we ended up doing was leaving messages to the other groups so that they would know that we planned to continue hiking and camp at a river, which was still a ways away, but where we were sure to have water for drinking, cooking, and cleaning. I think about how having clean drinking water isn't always the easiest thing to come by, and can really feel gratitude when it comes to having clean drinking water come out of my faucet. In fact, earlier this year, I moved to a home that's on well water. This is the first time I've lived somewhere where I don't have city water. Since moving in, I've learned a lot about water treatment. And in the end, I've actually installed more equipment to remove iron from my household water as well as a reverse osmosis filter so that I can have good tasting water at home. My practice of gratitude has been around clean drinking water, and that's worked for me, but that may not work for you. When many people think about the practice of gratitude, it usually looks like some version of thinking about something you have in your life that you're grateful for. A lot of times these can be things that we generally take for granted. For example... I'm grateful that I'm in good health and that my family's in good health, which I really am grateful for. But just saying that doesn't inspire necessarily a whole lot of gratitude unless I start to think about you know, my patients who don't have great health. I think oftentimes it really takes putting things into context, which helps with that real feeling of gratitude. Again, that international travel that I do can often put me in a state of gratitude for what I normally take for granted. So here are some of the gratitude interventions that have been used in research studies. Simon McCullough, who I mentioned earlier, introduced an invention they called Counting Blessings in a study that they published in 2003. This activity involved writing down five things for which participants were grateful, either daily or weekly. Many other research studies later have conducted experiments using variations of this activity. Martin Siegelman took the Counting Blessings intervention and added one more step by having participants write down three things that went well and then also identifying the causes to those good things. Mental abstraction is an activity where the participant is asked to imagine what life would be like if a positive event had not occurred. Other studies have asked participants to write a letter of gratitude to a person that they have never properly thanked or some other version of writing a letter that showed gratitude. Earlier this year, I listened to a podcast episode from the Huberman Lab. Dr. Andrew Huberman is a neuroscientist at Stanford. This was episode number 47, The Science of Gratitude and How to Build a Gratitude Practice, which you can watch on YouTube or listen on your favorite podcast app. While I enjoy listening to the Huberman Lab podcast, I'll admit I haven't listened to that many of them because they do tend to be long. And when I say long, I mean over an hour. I love how he goes over the studies and science behind what he talks about, but it can be rather dense. My PhD is in neuroscience, and I'm so fascinated by how the brain works. So if you have any inclination, you may want to check out his podcast. But if you're like me and not that likely to listen to a podcast episode that runs one hour and 26 minutes long, I thought I'd share some of the interesting points he made on this particular podcast episode. The biggest one is what makes up an effective gratitude practice. But first, let's go into the neuroscience of gratitude. Our brain is made of neural circuitry that becomes activated under specific situations. There are neural circuits for what's called pro-social behaviors and pro-social mindset, of which gratitude falls under the pro-social category. Pro-social behaviors or mindset is a behavior or mode of thinking that allows us to be more effective in interactions with other people, including ourselves. The neural circuits in our brain wired for prosocial behaviors are different from the neural circuits wired for defense. And the neural circuits for defense are actually reduced when the prosocial neural circuits are activated. The practice of gratitude can actually shift these circuits. Dr. Antonio DiMaggio, who's a famous neuroscientist, has studied the neural correlates of gratitude and that it activates two specific areas of our brain. The anterior cingulate cortex and the medial prefrontal cortex. The amount of activation actually scales depending on the intensity of gratitude. We talk about the prefrontal cortex a lot in coaching. The medial prefrontal cortex is the area involved in planning, evaluation of experiences, as well as determining context. You may have heard of people taking an ice bath for health benefits. It's been reported to reduce inflammation and swelling, as well as relieve sore muscles and possibly support immunity. Going into ice bath will be uncomfortable. However, the context of going into the ice bath will impact whether or not it has a positive or negative effect. If you deliberately choose to place yourself in an ice bath from a place of choosing that you're deciding that you want to do it for the health benefits, then the prefrontal cortex which exerts influences on the deeper areas of your brain like the hypothalamus, will send neurochemicals that create a positive effect like dopamine and serotonin and other anti-inflammatory chemicals. In contrast, if you find yourself pushed into an ice bath or pressured or otherwise forced to enter an ice bath when you don't really want to, then those positive neurochemicals aren't released. The same experience, the experience of being in an ice bath, can lead to a positive or negative health effects depending on the context of her thoughts. So gratitude sets the context of your experience in the medial prefrontal cortex. And you really can't lie to yourself to turn a negative context into a positive context. You have to truly believe it. So how do we work on reworking our neural circuitry with the practice of gratitude? Dr. Kuberman talked about different ways of practicing gratitude, including increasing the sympathetic system and then dropping into gratitude. However, he asserts that what's most potent for the practice of gratitude is not where you give or express gratitude, but when you actually receive gratitude. He talks about a study where co-workers wrote a letter expressing gratitude to another co-worker. The coworkers were brought together and the one coworker read the letter that they wrote to the other co-worker. The coworker receiving their gratitude had their brain activity monitored and showed increased prefrontal activation. Now, when I listened to the podcast, Dr. Humanman seemed to imply that the person receiving the gratitude who was listening to a letter showed more activation than the person reading the letter. But actually, when I looked at the study, it didn't compare the neural activity of the person reading the letter, giving gratitude to the person hearing the letter and receiving gratitude. They compare the person hearing the gratitude letter, which is the experimental condition, to a control condition of the person hearing about the weather. Nonetheless, Dr. Huberman did talk about that he read multiple studies, and he really emphasized that the receiving of gratitude is more likely to activate the neural activity than giving gratitude. I looked a bit into the studies on gratitude, but it's unlikely I did as much as he did when he prepared for his podcast episode. So as he's an experienced researcher and reads a lot of research papers, I'm going to assume He has read multiple studies that really imply that the receiving gratitude actually is more important than the thoughts of gratitude. Sitting around and waiting for someone to express gratitude to you is unlikely to be an effective gratitude practice. You want to try to find something that you can do yourself on a regular basis. The other condition that Dr. Huberman talks about that has strong activation in the brain for gratitude involved people watching videos of someone telling a story that featured sharing their own feelings of gratitude. In order for the pre-social areas of the brain to activate, the person watching had to feel an affiliation with the person telling the story. This encompasses the theory of mind, which is when a person can place themselves in a position of someone else. And the theory of mind is very strong in the medial prefrontal cortex. To activate gratitude, put yourself in the mindset of a person in a story about humans helping other humans. Think deeply of the emotional experience of someone receiving help and the gratitude that they felt from that help. Try to find a story that's particularly meaningful for you. Take some notes on the story. What was the struggle? What help was given? And something about how that impacts you emotionally. Then when you spend time remembering about the story or even reviewing your notes on the story, you can actually get back into a reproducible state of gratitude each time. You don't actually need to hear the whole story every time. Just reviewing those main points can be enough to stimulate the neural circuitry, at least according to Dr. Huberman. There isn't really literature to support how often a gratitude practice needs to be done to actually be effective. However, it doesn't seem like it has to be a long practice. In fact, Dr. Human suggested that spending as little as one minute at a time three times a week could be enough to change neural circuitry. There has been a randomized control study showing that those in the experimental arm that participated in a gratitude practice by answering questions from the researcher once a week for five to 10 minutes had reduction of amygdala reactivity and reductions in their TNF-alpha levels. The amygdala is the area of the brain that recognizes threats and brings about fear. So reducing activity in this area is theoretically towards the side of happiness and away from the side of stress. TNF-alpha, TNF standing for tumor necrosis factor, is an inflammatory cytokine. So decreasing amygdala activation and decreasing TNF-alpha levels is interpreted as having less fear and less stress. This would suggest that the practice of gratitude for as little as five minutes once a week can make real physiological changes in our body. Hopefully, this podcast has convinced you to at least think about incorporating a practice of gratitude into your life on a weekly basis. Remember, it doesn't have to be long. A couple of minutes a few times a week can be all you need in order to really get your brain to rewire to a place where you can have less stress and more feelings of happiness. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving, whether you're spending it with family, friends, by yourself, or even if you're working on the holiday. I know we as doctors often do have to work holidays because hospitals need to be manned 24-7, 365 days a year. Thank you for what you do. If you're in the emergency room this holiday weekend or you're a hospitalist working in the hospital or the ICU, Let me express my gratitude for those of you for being in the healthcare system and taking care of our fellow humans, because you never know who that person is who needs medical attention. It could be my mother, my sister, or my friend. Whoever it is, it's likely someone's parent, sibling, child, or friend. So let me express my appreciation by saying thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could share it with your friends and colleagues. And now for the disclaimer. I am not a certified financial planner, accountant, or attorney, and nothing I say should be construed as professional investment, tax, or legal advice. This show is primarily for your education and entertainment. I am a physician, but I'm probably not your physician. So if you need any medical advice, please contact your own physician. Thank you.